1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, Working's bi-weekly, advice-focused Lady Gaga to Working's Madonna. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Karen, it's been a couple of months now since your book came out. How are you feeling now that it's out in the world?
0: It still feels very strange. I think the fact that I had like all my New York book events, which thank you so much to everyone who came, that has taken the edge off a little bit. Where I'm like, I it feels more tangible to me that it has happened. <laughs> yeah. But I'm still planning on a couple of LA events that are coming up, so it's still sort of in my mind. I guess I'm still thinking about it, maybe more than you think you would after you finish a big project. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping to like as the aforementioned Lady Gaga move into my <laughs> next phase soon properly.
1: Well. I want to talk about something kind of related this week. Mm -hmm. We're relatively early in the new year. And so the thing I want to talk about is something that people can do at any time, but it seems to be especially popular when the calendar changes or when you finish a huge project like you just did. (laughs) And that is undertake a creative refresh. It's a perfect time to declare email bankruptcy. (laughs) scratch out a bunch of tasks from your rolling to-do list and just generally reassess your priorities and projects. Are you the kind of person who likes to hit the restart button?
0: I'm the kind of person who wishes that they were, or at (laughs) least I definitely try to do things that'll make it feel like I'm making a fresh start. For instance, this year, I'm trying to plan a little working getaway with my partner so we can make some headway on some projects. But granted, some of those projects are carrying over from last year. So it's not a total refresh in that sense. That is to say, I'm very eager to get more into the idea of a refresh.
1: Yeah, well, let's explore it. So The topic this time around was inspired by an issue, if if that's the appropriate noun, of Mason Curry's Substack newsletter, which is called Subtle Maneuvers. And Mason is one of America's foremost scholars of creative habits. He has a couple of great books. Uh, One is called Daily Rituals and one is called Daily Rituals, Women at Work. Mm. And he also shares some great insights in his biweekly newsletter. And recently, he shared a quote from the sculptor Kleis Oldenburg, who died in 2022 at the age of 93, by the way. And Oldenburg used to undergo a regular process that he called self-priming. Our producer, Kevin Bendis, is going to now read something that Oldenburg wrote somewhere in the mid-60s.
2: Last summer, I went through two months of what you might call inspiring myself or priming myself by reading and buying magazines and walking the streets of New York, and I even took off 40 pounds. I gave up smoking. I did all kinds of things to myself to get myself stimulated or started in some direction. And then I went through my notes, which is always a good stimulation, the notes from the past. There are many pieces that I've been intending to make, but I never get around to making. And finally, I sat down and made a list of about 50 things I'd like to make. Just what came into my mind as a result of the self-priming. Some of these things were actually made, but there's such a gap between thinking of a thing and actually making it. There's so much labor involved in carrying a thing from the original idea to the finished object. And a lot of these things were a lovely idea. And I think I went around and told people I was going to do it. And it sounded great, but I wasn't able to do it. And it sounded great, but I wasn't able to make them happen in the short time that I had. But they may happen, say, next year or two years from now or three years from now. There were a lot of ideas in that
1: short, slightly rambling paragraph. So let's work through them bit by bit. First, he talked about reading and buying magazines and walking the streets of New York as a way to expose himself to fresh ideas. I think those are great ways to self-stimulate, so to speak. Are they things that you have done? Are there any other ways you've sort of blown away the cobwebs and tried to take in new content?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's also a favorite method of gathering inspiration for us here on this show, it's good to get out and about, and there will always be something that you get out of it, whether it's actually the inspiration that you're looking for, or (laughs) just the opportunity to clear your head and kind of organize your thoughts. As for other ways to take in new things, I think it's good to keep apprised of what your friends are up to, whether or not they have similar interests. Maybe someone just went to a new museum exhibit, or is getting really into a band you've never heard of. There's no harm in investigating a little bit.
1: It really is... Shocking how effective taking a walk can be to clear your yeah. head. Though it sounds like Oldenburg spent two solid months flannering, which is something I can't quite imagine doing. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like, I wish. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Let's just leave it at that. It would be wonderful, but not very practical. <laughs> I really love magazines, but the market is very different in 2022 than it was in the 60s when he wrote that. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the modern equivalent would be buying hard copy newspapers and flipping through them. I'm embarrassed to say that I rarely, I won't say I can't remember when I last, Mm -hmm. but it's a very rare occurrence that I actually hold actual newspapers in my hands But I really am aware that when I do, I'm much more likely to clip things out or make notes Mm. about stories that I come across. It it feels more idea generating to have an actual newspaper. Mm -hmm. The other thing that really struck me was when Oldenburg talked about going through notes that he'd made in the past. Are you much of a note taker or journaler? Do you think that trawling through old notebooks would help you generate new ideas?
0: I don't journal, but sometimes I do think about it because some Mm. of the books that I've really enjoyed, like Michael Palin's journals from his time with Monty Python to his travelogues are just really, really wonderful Mm. and probably really nice to be able to look back on and say like, oh, that's what I was doing at a given time in the past. And I do think they'd be good to look back on for inspiration. The closest that I come probably is just I'm a I'm a really bad hoarder. Like, I love to yeah. keep tokens from things that I've done, and I'm very bad at throwing them away, even if yeah. they're not very useful to me. That said, I generally feel like if something is important enough to you for you to remember it, then... You will remember it and draw upon it without having to write it down necessarily, although that'll definitely make the task easier. What about you?
1: You know, it's funny. Something you just said reminded me of the slogan or tagline or whatever you mm-hmm. want to say from the notebook manufacturer's field notes. Their slogan is I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. <laughs> oh, that's I think good. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. There's something about writing it down that actually pins it somewhere in your brain. Yeah. I journal a little bit in quite specific situations mm-hmm. when I just need to get something out of my head, you know, because something is bugging me mm-hmm. and it just feels like it's lodged right at the front of my brain and it's kind of blocking out other stuff. I find that writing about it and just stop telling myself, okay. That's it now, let it go. That can actually achieve that. And the other time is when I feel really stuck, then I'll just get a notebook out and try to like journal some ideas for how I can get unstuck. but even though I'm not a kind of assiduous journaler, I mm-hmm. am a note taker, and I think of those two things as being. Different, mm-hmm. You know, I keep pretty good track of what I'm doing, you know, in my work, what problems I run up against, resources that I find. And I, I do like to loop back on those notes, mm-hmm. though I don't necessarily do so on a particular schedule. And I, I don't think that all notes need to be returned to. Again, sometimes writing it down once is enough, It like that mm-hmm. achieves what needs to be achieved. But when I do go back to old notes, it again, it often is quite generative. So listeners, if you have any old logbooks or scratch pads or notebooks, I guess, sitting on shelves or in drawers, flip back through them and see if that triggers any new ideas. I think that might be worth your time. We are going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more ways to reprime one's creative pump. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Hello, listeners. Is there a particular creative struggle you'd like to hear us tackle? Let us know by emailing us at workingatslate.com, or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-W-O-R-K.
1: And we're back. Another thing that Oldenburg mentioned was making a list. After he did his walking, and his magazine flipping and he <laughs> fixed his bad habits. He wrote down 50 things that he would like to make. You know, he was a sculptor and I am mm. always especially interested in the way that sculptors develop their design ideas because it's very hard for them to just, you know, make one quickly. It, it just doesn't yeah. work that way with 3D objects. And I'm not familiar with Oldenburg sketches, but I really like sketches that Barbara Hetworth and Henry Moore made when they were thinking about upcoming projects. And so definitely that kind of writing things down, coming up with ideas process is easier for writers. But I wonder to what extent you do that. You know, when people are staff writers, often part of the job is to have to come up with a certain number of ideas for pieces Mm -hmm. every week. Is that something that you've continued to do since you went back to freelancing?
0: To be honest with you, I think I actually kept those kinds of lists more when I was a freelancer because then I also needed to keep better track of what I was writing for which publication, Mm. what I had pitched to which editors, who I still had to invoice and Mm. stuff like that. There are just a lot more moving parts. Since going back to basically being a freelancer, I haven't made as many lists as I used to previously, but that's partially a function of the fact that the kind of freelancing I'm doing is a little different. And I also yeah. have a little more financial security than I did back then. I don't have to be juggling dozens of pieces at once. Yeah. But I guess to further answer your question, there are kind of ups and downs because as a freelancer, you definitely have a lot more freedom, but you have to keep track of a lot more too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that it's just a really good practice just to come up with yeah. ideas. I have friends who will just make it a practice to come up with 10 ideas every day. Now, that's not necessarily ideas for stories. It could be ideas for, you know, animal communication devices. (laughs) You know, but if you set yourself that goal of, I will write down, it's not even I will have, but I will Mm -hmm. write down 10 ideas every single day. Some of them are crazy. Some of them are bonkers. But, you know, you've written down 10 ideas every day. One of them, you know, once every month might be brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it's very practical. Then when Oldenburg was talking about his repriming method, he mentioned something that strikes me as maybe less universally productive, and that was telling his friends what he was going to make. So he went through this self-priming project. It generated ideas, he wrote them down, and then he told people that he was going to make those things. I think In current self-help speak, we'd say that he was using his friends to keep him accountable. Mm -hmm. And I guess the reason I said this strikes me as a bit more questionable is that when I ask myself if I could do this or if I would do this, I don't think I would. And I don't Mm -hmm. know why exactly, because maybe it's just, oh, God, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, (laughs) you know, when when you do your annual review at work or you tell your friends and colleagues you're going to do something, that really ups the commitment level and, you know, I don't necessarily want to have a million commitments. What do you think about announcing future projects before you've sold them or figured out how are you going to be able to make them?
0: <laughs> That's a really good question. And I think my answer comes specifically from being in industries where the announcement timing isn't always up to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For instance, like, movie reviews, like, usually you'll have to deal with a studio embargo of, like, this is when it gets to go up, or even, Mm -hmm. like, with interviews around those movies. And then also in the movie and TV industry, it's just better not to... Most of the time, shoot yourself in the foot like that until like some sort of deal has been made and there's something to show for it. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think my general take on this is that I prefer not to announce a future project until there's something that I can show people or in some cases until a contract has been signed or your production company or publisher has told you that you can talk about it publicly, yeah. which even then means you've made the step of like having someone backing you for it. So I guess it's sort of similar to sending an editor a pitch in that way. Like, yeah. I've at least thought a little about my idea, a little, and have a nugget to present that'll make it easier for both them to commit to making me accountable and also yeah. for me to commit to being like, this is this feels pretty real now and I should work on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last stage in Oldenburg's process was doing it, you know, sitting down <laughs> and making the things you said you would make. Mm -hmm. And in in his case, that was sculpture or installations. In our case, books or profiles or scripts. Mm -hmm. And I'm very aware that those were the most garbled sentences in that (laughs) kind of chunk of copy, you know. And I, I say that because I think it can be a lot of fun to talk about exercises and processes and interventions and how you're going to mm. you know what you're going to do how you you know how you're going to tackle this problem and in fact talking about those things can be much more fun than you know just actually doing the thing or to put it another way people would rather pay to get an mfa than to actually write <laughs> have i gone too far <laughs>
0: No, I think that's a perfectly justified academia burn, (laughs) mostly because I think for a lot of us, the idea of making something is still daunting, even if you've been in your particular field for years, because that means you have something that says like, this is how well I can do, or Mm. like, this is what I can show for all the time that I've already sunk into this, which is really a scary idea. But having something terrible and being able to fix it is still a step further down the road than having nothing at all. And it is ultimately what you have to do in order to have something to show for all of that time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll be back with our final thoughts on the art of self-priming after this.
2: This is the story of The One.
0: Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you're enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to rate or review the show because it really does help new listeners to find us. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others.
1: I found Kleiss Oldenburg's discussion of how he got in the mood to do new work really interesting. But there are lots of other places to get ideas like that. Are there places you like to go when you are wanting to get a fresh start, when your book was done and you knew it was time to move on to another project? Did you do any rituals or processes to kind of let go of that big project and find the next big thing?
0: I was really lucky in that what I've been working on since finishing the act of writing the book was kind of already in process. Yeah, so nice. in that sense, there wasn't a really a period to be able to get over it as it were and move on because I was already swimming in that pool. Yeah. But I like to mark the ends of projects in some way, whether for a smaller thing, it's buying myself a little treat like a croissant or a milk tea <laughs> or making it a bigger deal and going out to dinner or something like that, because it helps you commemorate the moment and it also helps you feel... Feel like you're recharging a little at the same time by being able to do or have something fun for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any rituals?
1: Not really. I do like to go out to dinner and I do mm. like to buy myself treats, but I do those things all the time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't not go out to dinner if I didn't meet my writing target, you know? That's hard. That would be too harsh, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no dinner for you, June. You you only got 3,000 words and you oh said you'd have 3,500. Oh <laughs> my God, no. I do want to put in a word for podcasts and YouTube videos as a way of just kind of getting new ideas or just kind of finding new techniques. I spend what is honestly a silly amount of time listening to productivity podcasts and watching YouTube videos with personal <laughs> knowledge management tools or you know, watching people update their planners. I'm not really sure I can justify that, but I do spend a lot of time doing that. (laughs) And part of it is that I find that calming, but I have also gotten actionable ideas from those things. You know, for example, Mm. I was listening to an episode of the podcast, Focused, where they talked about mind maps in a pretty interesting way. And then I noticed that a guy on YouTube called Sheng Huang had a bunch of videos about mind maps, which I watched and... You know, listening and watching those things didn't cause me to immediately start mind mapping <laughs> and I'm not a particularly visual thinker so I really didn't think it would be for me but mm-hmm. you know I thought it was interesting enough that I spent a few hours you know checking it out but then a couple of weeks ago I was feeling really stuck with a chapter of my book I just mm-hmm. I could tell that the structure was wrong but I couldn't figure out how to fix it so I tried mind mapping And it really helped. And, you know, it's really hard to make the connection from, you know, thing one, listening to a podcast, to thing two, you know, solving a bit of being stuck. But, you know, if I hadn't listened to those podcasts and watched those videos, well, I don't think I would have come up with that. That's really good to know. And I think ties into kind of the
0: bigger themes that we've been talking about so far in this episode, where it's like that inspiration or that help can really come from anywhere. Like, even if you think you're wasting your time watching those YouTube videos or listening to those podcasts, like they did and can ultimately help you.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, maybe because I feel like I am the kind of person who can get very stuck In a routine, (laughs) I find them very soothing. I find Mm -hmm. them very, you know, they just make, makes me happy to, to think, okay, I did this yesterday. I'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And it's really good to try new things. And sometimes some of us need to call it a repriming process. Yeah. But yeah, just try something new. Do it when you can. It's really good Mm -hmm. for you. All right. That's all the time we have for this episode. We thank you so much for listening. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions you'd like us to address on Working Overtime, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at, working at Slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK.
0: If you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash workingplus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working.
1: Big thanks to our producer, Kevin Bendis, and to our series producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working. And in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work.